Yes, hello everyone and welcome back to the Number the Brave podcast. I am Hal Schwartz and as always I'm here with my great buddy Flynn McLean. Flynn, what's been happening? Uh, we got a lot going on. It's always funny. I'm always I'm always amazed by how much Bruce is going on even when he's not on tour, but we do between the inaugural show and the concert and then the from my home to yours which was actually the same day we do have quite a bit of bruce content yes we do and the inaugural performance was was truly just stirring and i i can't even put it into words the shot when the camera came around and they shot bruce from behind and he was facing the washington monument while singing land of hope and dreams i mean <laughs> what a moment that was yeah, that was a, a very powerful image, and I have to compare it, though, to the 2009 perf- performance of The Rising uh, for Obama's first inauguration, and it's that one was much more stirring to me. It was much more of a call for hope, and then this one was more of a – it was it was mournful. It was kind of a meditative prayer. I think that's what some, one of my friends called it, and that's that pretty much nails it. It's not – it wasn't – stirring to me it, w- it wasn't rousing it didn't doesn't give me you know the energy or the the passion to go out and do something but it definitely affects me on on a different level oh i agree it was not a rousing performance in the traditional sense but i i do think there was something about it the way he he slowed the song down to emphasize the lyrics and it was it was tremendously powerful and of course what it stood for on that day, the day that Joe Biden was inaugurated and the change in the country and everything that we've experienced for the last couple of weeks and months <laughs> and years. It yeah. just he he really I thought he nailed it beautifully. And and I, not a coincidence, I don't think that he was the person who kicked off the <laughs> entire event. They knew that he was going to deliver like that. And, and he spoke to the country. Yeah, that it set the tone and it really was a su- summation of how a lot of people are feeling we you know we really want you know tomorrow there'll be sunshine and all this darkness past that's that's the key line and and you mentioned the the visual of the washington monument over bruce's shoulder as it's as it's being shot from the lincoln memorial and all the, but those the lights around the reflecting pool those that was yeah, power was tremendous that was powerful because each one represented a thousand people who have who have died because of COVID. Of course, they and, couldn't give them a little Katy Perry style fireworks too. But I'm joking. <laughs> well, talk about uh, you know read the room at the start. You know we gotta you start off with the with the prayer and then you end with the hallelujah. So talk, I, uh, talk about an arc. That's true. I mean, from Bruce <laughs> to Katy Perry on that night, that was big, and those fireworks were really impressive. <laughs> They were. I bet my my parents live in Silver Spring, Maryland, and uh, they probably saw them, <laughs> or at least heard them, or saw the glow. Um, but yeah, that was that was some evening. Now, did you pick up? I'm pretty sure he either altered or swallowed the word whores. Oh, I did not pick up on that. Yeah, and the whores and gamblers line. I I could swear that it was either altered or. He he sort of swallowed the word, so it wasn't obvious, I thought. But I don't know. Maybe that was just me. We'll hear from other people. Well, I, I thought it was interesting the way he said Washington, D.C. When he opened the show, I thought that was an interesting pronunciation of that. Um, but I did like he repeated the word sunshine. Tomorrow there'll be sunshine. And then he paused and yeah. then said sunshine again. I 
that was another little it's a little thing that that we noticed but it means a lot again it, it was a wonderful moment and and what regardless of your politics i mean that was a beautiful performance of the song yes it was yes it was it was a very even if you if you from the other side of of the politics than than, than bruce look at it as just a, a prayer for for those who have for the souls of the departed due to COVID. Now, and we'll never know the answer to this, of course, but it, it, one wonders how he would have treated that moment had the insurrection not occurred. Now, we're going to get to the From My Home to Yours, where he spoke very eloquently on, on the events of the last couple of weeks. It did very much have a tone that I think grew out of the events of January 6th. And, and as we know from My Home to Yours and some of the other places he's spoken recently, I think that that is heavily on his mind. Uh, it's on heavily heavily on everybody's mind and you're right i i don't know what kind of tone it would have had had there not been that attack basically an attack on on our democracy on from january 6th and would it have been more rousing more of a celebration had there not been the insurrection maybe but well as you said we'll never know we'll have to get jeff greenfield to write a alternate history of the last four or five years now and then tying it into from my home to yours where in recent times we haven't spoken as much about these shows because he's basically just been playing dj but here he did go back to being much more of a commentator on what's happening in society and 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 he he spoke so beautifully i thought the way the show opened at, w was really good with the warren's even song of course uh, lawyers guns and money i'm and sorry how do you say his last name zevon okay how, I think how Bruce, I you you just said it like Bruce did at the show. Oh, that day. may have been unintentional. <laughs> All right, whatever. Warren yeah, Zevon. Warren yes. Zevon, y'all. Come on. Yes. Come. All right. Then he was followed by Leonard Cohen. And then before he Bruce played his own Land of Hope and Dreams, this was the album version, of course, tying it into the inaugural. He spoke so beautifully to people who are Trump supporters and I, I just want to highlight one thing he said. He said, so I say this with pain and love in my heart. Don't waste your compassion on those who do not deserve it. You are better and worth much more than that. In this world, God's world, no infallible truth resides in just one man. Even saying it now, and of course, those are his words, not mine, but just total chills. Yeah, he, he's got, he, we said it before, he's got a way with words. And of course, that's why he is who he is. But even when he's not songwriting, when he's just, writing from the gut from the heart he's able to he's able to to zero in on what he on what he wants to say and and he and he makes this point eloquently and without and without derision of the other side oh for sure and and where else what other time i should say are you going to hear on e street radio jay-z and run the jewels back to back <laughs> that's a good question but he uh he's definitely expanded my uh musical uh library <laughs> at least been, when, when i'm open to listen to anyway it's impressive look we know he is a big time fan of of multiple genres of music yes. but i mean re really he does take the audience here on on quite an array of styles and and and, and themes and it, I, I bet he knows his audience and and this is i don't think controversial to say this bruce's audience is fairly homogeneous yeah, we're all middle-aged white dudes. Well, <laughs> white, I, uh, white I, there are some women in there. Let's not. Oh yes, I know. We're all middle-aged white people. How about that? Uh, did your wife just throw a pillow at you? <laughs> no, she did not. 
I was just talking. I was talking with somebody else about that. But go on. But he really is giving, especially here tied to this theme about. Uh, which he entitled Lawyers, Guns, and Money, uh, tied to that theme. And 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 these songs really did tie together beautifully. He did Neil Young's version of All Along the Watchtower. And, of course, he finished it up with two of his own songs, Reason to Believe. And, and most appropriately, as we've been saying for <laughs> weeks here, House of a Thousand Guitars is a healing song. And I, I think there's no better confirmation from Bruce that he believes that as well than how the show ended. Yeah, I, it is interesting, though, that outside of Jay-Z and Run the Jewels, it was kind of pretty much standard in Bruce's wheelhouse or, or Bruce's audience's wheelhouse. I, I mean, Leonard Cohen, I guess he's a little he's a little different. He's not a rocker, but he's one of the greatest songwriters of the last, what, 40, 50 years. Uh, Link Ray, I thought Link Ray's version of It's All Over Now, Baby Blue was... was that was tremendous. good. And, and Reason to Believe, yeah, that kind of... After, after a hard-earned day, people still find a reason to believe. Yes. And, and that's what we have to keep going. We have we have to have a reason to believe. Oh, yeah. I, I agree with you. It was very powerful. And and linking it to House of a Thousand Guitars is just perfect. And and once again, it shows how he takes an older song. Of Normally, he does this in his concerts. Here, he's doing it in a radio show. But taking an older song and tying it to a newer song uh, to create a story. And, and that's what he does so well. Yes, that's that's an excellent point. I hadn't really put those two that far together yet, but but yeah, he uh, take take an old song and put put a new song into a different context, or yeah. take take a new song and put an old song into a new context. Oh right, and certainly we hope at some point in the near future, although it seems to be <laughs> slipping now. But at some point in the hopeful future that Bruce is going to be able to play, and, and this is what he's going to do in the live show. He's going to take the fantastic material off letter to you and 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 put it with the older songs and, and recontextualize everything. And I, I think that, as, as we've discussed before, that's just going to be an incredibly powerful experience when we can get back to that. But, you know, as I say, uh, it's probably a little bit of a ways off. Yeah, at least, at least in the, the way we're – we're used to it. Uh, obviously, there are ways to have shows where the audience is social distance, uh, but I don't, you know, that's not going to feel normal. That's not going to feel right at a at a Bruce show. We want to be packed into the pit. We want right. to be packed into the seats with twenty thousand other people and singing along and yelling, cheering along, and pump, pumping our fist in the air to Badlands. That's what we want, and that's what uh, it's going to be amazing if it. Well, I shouldn't say if, but it's a, it'll be amazing when it happens. Let's just hope, whenever it is, that we can all be there together, and and it's just going to be quite a moment. So, from that, I think let's move on to another series of shows that have provided quite a number of moments for us, and that is the Light of Day show, which celebrated its twentieth anniversary in January of twenty twenty. Of course, unfortunately, because of the pandemic, they're not able to do the normal live series of shows this year, but they are going to do a virtual event, which we're going to hear a little bit more about when we talk to Tony Palagrosi, executive director of Light of Day. But before we get to Tony, do you want to talk a little about our favorite moments from the from these shows? <laughs> there, well, there have been quite a few. There have been quite a well, few. You, was... you've seen, I've only seen three. You've seen many more than me. Yeah, I, I, th- I saw 2000, 2001, 2004, and then like 10, 11, 12, 13. So, and uh, well, you saw 14, 15, and 20 because I was with you. <laughs> okay, yes. They all, I mean, unfortunately, there is a point I, my 
my age is catching up to me and my memory doesn't quite keep everything uh, in uh, the right order. So, yeah. But uh, that first light of day was just it was fun. It wasn't exactly a secret. It was kind of like one of the old uh, Grusecki shows like in 95 or 94 that from Mars where it seemed to be the the worst kept secret on the Jersey Shore and, and elsewhere. But what I remember from that, it was, as you know, it was just a few months after the reunion tour ended. And they're doing Ramrod. And just when uh, it would go into what would be Clarence's solo, actually, Bruce did say big man the first time, just out of total habit. But then later on, when it came back around, he went, Gusheke. And that was, that was, you know, that was a fun little moment. It's not, not something that's always going to pop out at you in a, on a set list or something, but it's definitely something that I've kept in my mind for the last 20 plus years. And of course, since I've only seen the most recent ones, uh, the one that really stood out to me was 2015. I, I think you and I and Claudine and everyone else who was with us that night had a really fun night that night. Well, they're, well, they're all fun. But yes, that one was a little bit extra special. Uh, Bruce came out and opened with an acoustic, Janie, Don't You Lose Heart. That was something he had done a, at, at a few of the earlier shows. And it was kind of an extension of the of the shows he did with Grusecki out in Pittsburgh. And the yeah. In November of what, 2010 and 2011, so that was that was a good thing to see on on his on his own home turf. Uh, 2014, which was the first show I went to, Bruce was a little muted that night, I think, because they were about to leave for uh, well, they were leaving for uh, South Africa, I think it was. Yeah, like yeah. just days later. Yeah, they, they, a couple later. Of days later. So I think he held back a little that night. Now in 2015, which was a year later when he was totally free. Uh, that went really late. I mean, that show, and he played that night, he played with La Bamba, he played solo acoustic, and then he did a very lengthy set with uh, Grusecki and the House Rockers and Eddie Mannion. Of course, and you left out with Willie Nile playing one guitar, which That's is, right. Yeah. That was always a highlight for, for for me, actually. I really really liked that song and what Bruce, what Bruce adds to it. That was also great, one guitar in 2020, which was, of course, the last light of day that was played. And uh, I was I was really glad to have been there for that. That that was as we discussed last year. That was a very sweet night because Bruce flew back special from Florida to be there for Bob on the occasion of the 20th anniversary of Light of Day, and and, and it was tremendous that he did that. Yeah, I know there was, there was a lot of chatter online about the about the way Bruce was walking so stiffly and didn't seem to be in top physical shape, but you know any show where he does saving up. I mean, come on, that's that's awesome. And certainly the the rest of the stuff wasn't exactly pushing any envelopes, but it was good to see Promised Land and talking to the King and Darkness and and that bluesy version of Pink Cadillac with Danny Clinch on, on the harmonica. You know, that's that's always fun. And the thing I took away from last year, you take away it from all of these shows, but really from last year because Bruce did fly back and and I think people came out and they really wanted to make sure Bob felt good. And the community, the sense of community, Grishecki, Danny Clinch, Bruce, Willie Nile, all these guys, Jesse Mallon, it's just, it, it's such a wonderful community and they come together for a great cause. And and it, it, it's it's really fun for us to be a part of and and, and it's a, really worthy event well i think about the the 2001 light of day which was actually a trade trade winds not not the pony and it was right after 9 11 obviously and in late september bruce usually has that party at, at his farm where he brings out different bands and that was where he famously met the most of the musicians that made up the secret sessions band and he didn't have it that year for 
for ob- for obvious reasons. And so there was it was kind of rumored that it was going to that the light of day that November was going to kind of be that party for him. And it may not have been up to that level, but it's certainly over the years that is certainly a party party for Bruce and it's certainly or at least that's how he treats it and it's it's all for Bob Benjamin's birthday every year. And it's to see them. I mean, it's all, we're almost like we're crashing a party in yeah. some way, or at least just looking on the outside, looking in, so to speak. And when you see at the end, at the end of each night, at the end of each light of day, you see all the musicians on that stage, and there are a lot of them. And they come out, and they're just happy to be part of it. I mean, that's such a wonderful community, and the smiles on their faces just you know, says just says it all. Yeah, very emotional when Bruce does Thunder Road at these shows. There's no question about it. And, you know, again, if for anyone who's listening to us or who's not familiar with Light of Day, you can go to lightofday.org and, and read more information about the organization and also the upcoming virtual event, which will be held February 12th through the 14th. In a moment, we're going to interview Tony Palagrosi from the Light of Day Foundation. Before we do that, I did want to ask you, there's one show that I'm always curious about. I was not out, of course, because I didn't go until 2014. The 2011 shows, one I've always heard was really top-notch. That was actually the one where Bruce did One Way Street. Were you at that one? I, I was. I was. How uh, was that? I mean, looking, it, it was amazing. I remember kind of being a little bit late. And I was t- too busy talking with people out before I realized that Bruce was on stage doing your own worst enemy acoustic, <laughs> kicking myself for that. But uh, now you mentioned One Way Street. And what's interesting is that he did Save My Love at a bunch of these, too. And yes, it seems like he's more willing to do some of the promise material with Joe Grusecki than he is with with his own East Street band. That's always so that's kind of a, I guess that's a that's a, a double edged sword. Certainly want to see Bruce do that with the East Street band, but it's great to see him do it just even with Krushecki's band. Well, it's interesting. I, you know, thinking of his mindset there, I wonder, do you think it's more about just giving the fans in Asbury a little treat, whether it's Save My Love, One Way Street, Saving Up, that he knows that the fans there are, you know, perhaps the connoisseurs, as we like <laughs> to say, and he's given everyone a little treat by doing that stuff, which he wouldn't normally do in a big arena? Uh, that's very possible. That's very possible. I mean, people who go to Light of Day, it's, you know, it's kind of almost like a little. I don't. I want to say this may sound bad, but it's like a little secret. You know, you that you know. It's a club. Yeah, it's a club. It's, it's, no it's a club. All right. And so, yeah, he treats the club members to something a little bit, a little bit special, more special than he than he might do in an arena. Thanks. I, I just wanted to hear a little about that show. It's one I'm definitely sorry I missed. And now let's bring in tonight's special guest, Flynn. Why don't you take it away? Now I want to introduce a special guest to the None But the Brave podcast. We're talking with Tony Pellegrosi, the uh, executive director and co-founder of the Light of Day Foundation. He's been involved in the Jersey Shore music scene forever, basically. He was a member of the Jukes and even and he toured with Bruce back in 77. So, Tony, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks for being here. Uh, it's great to be here. So let's start it with the um, let's start with Light of Day. Um, it's been a, you've been doing it since 2000 and how did it start and what about Bruce's how did Bruce's involvement affect it? Well, uh, you know, it started in 98, 1998. Um, that was the first event, but it wasn't called Light of Day in 1998. Um, it was basically a birthday party to kind of cheer Bob up after his diagnosis of, of early onset Parkinson's. 
And uh, we threw a little party in a place called the Downtown, which was an upstairs room in Red Bank, New Jersey. And, um, you know, it was a surprise party for Bob. And like with most surprise parties, the object of the surprise usually knows more than anybody. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I got a call a couple of days before the surprise party from Bob. And he said, Tony, you know, that surprise party you guys are going to throw. <laughs> Would you mind if we if we passed the hat and collected some money? And uh, I'd like to give it to the Parkinson's Disease Foundation in New York because they've been really helpful uh, for me in finding doctors and kind of pointing me in the right direction. So I said, sounds like a great idea. And that was really the, the genesis of the light of day. Um, but we didn't call it the light of day until two years later in 2000. And now, if I can, I just want to make sure our audience knows who we're talking about, Bob, who Tony referred to as Bob Benjamin, Joe Grzecki's manager and a long time fixture on the Jersey Shore music scene. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> so then, and, a friend of, and a friend of all of ours. Yes. A friend for, I, I, I actually knew Bob, I think from about 1988 on, but I think I met him when the Jukes played uh, the college he was going to, which I think was Buffalo State, if I'm not mistaken oh wow okay yeah all right but he and, was uh he wrote he was uh, had to do uh, something to do with either the newspaper or the radio station or both probably everything <laughs> and so so two years later in 2000 how did how did that come about in terms of planning and all that fun stuff oh um you know i'm getting old the memory is going a little <laughs> but um uh, you know, it was basically, we had been talking about it. Uh, we didn't do it in 99 and we were kind of, uh, we had decided to try to turn it into something. We weren't quite sure what that was going to be. Um, but, uh, it was on a phone call that Bob and I were having that we decided on the name light of day. And, uh, so we called up Bruce's people and, and they said, have at it, you know, it's all yours. And uh, we thought it was the perfect name, considering the song lyrics and the connection uh, to the to the scene. And um, in 2000, we had our first light of day, which was a one night event at the Stone Pony. Mm -hmm. That's not all I remember. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, obviously, Joe Gashecki and the House Rockers were headlining. Yeah, that was a big night. Yes, I think so. I think so. And they had already, already released their version of Light of Day on an album. I think it was called One Step Up and Two Steps Back, a cover of a tribute to Bruce Springsteen. So it was uh, natural for them to, 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 to be there and to play that song. For, well, for, for I, it was coach. natural to do that, but it was the name of the organization. Okay. <laughs> so it was, it was obvious, and we decided that that song would be our closing song. Okay. Yeah, and we had decided that from that, that very first year. All right, that worked. And that... And that first year, Bruce had just completed the reunion tour and he did come down to lend his services to the event. And he, he played almost two hours with Grishecki that night. Yes, it was quite a night. Um, Any detail, yeah, details coming back to you? <laughs> yeah, uh, kind of. We had, a, we had a very good friend in Terry McGovern, who was Bruce's you know, right-hand man for many, many years till he passed away, actually. And um, Terry was always very supportive of Bob and the Light of Day Foundation. And uh, Terry was instrumental, really, in bringing Bruce down, as was Joe Grishecki. You know, they, they both were. 
Um, as you know, Joe and Bruce, uh, Bruce produced uh, American Babylon for Joe in 95, 1995, and then toured with Joe. And I, uh, my company at the time uh, was probably called Swing Street Legend, uh, produced those shows of the Stone Pony. When, uh, and that's kind of how I, I really first met Joe was in 95, although I had seen Joe when he was in the Iron City House Rockers. And the Iron City House Rockers had played Asbury at the Fast Lane years before. And I was a fan of Joe's. I had bought um, uh, that album, something like you, you Only Get Out Alive, you know the name <laughs> of it. Um, I had bought that record uh, when it came out. And so I was a fan of the Iron City House Rockers long before knowing Joe. We actually just spoke to Joe a couple of months ago about the anniversary release of that record. And we also talked to him about American Babylon and the October Assault Tour. So he had very fond memories of, of 1995. Yeah, it was a great year for him. Yeah. It was a great record, too. It was. Yep. And so and so after after the 2000 event, I guess things really kind of exploded because Bruce was there. And then the next two years, he moved to Tradewinds. How, how was that? Why was the why was there a venue change? Um, because I wanted it to, to go to trade rooms. I, I wasn't happy with the stone pony at that point. Um, I was not happy with the new owner of the stone pony. Mm. Um, and he and I were not getting along and the trade winds quite frankly was larger and, uh, we were able to do more people and, and raise more money, which was the whole point, you know, of doing it. Um, although, you know, sacrificing the whole, vibe of Asbury Park ultimately proved to be a wrong move. Um, we did it again when I owned Starland and we played Starland for two years because it was bigger and uh, we could raise a lot more money at Starland. It was much bigger than the Stone Pony, but ultimately, as you know, we came back to the Stone Pony because that's really our spiritual home and that's where we should be. I was just going to ask you about that because actually 2003 was one of the few shows, the few light of days that I've missed. And that was the year Michael J. Fox was there. Right. Yeah. Playing light of day. Yeah. <laughs> Played a great solo that night too. Oh, wow. I didn't, I, that I did not know. Yes. Now you had such huge support from Bruce in the early years and, and you've described to us how Terry and Joe helped get him involved. Plus we know Bruce has known Bob for a long time and needless to say, Bruce's presence creates a level of publicity that you couldn't get otherwise. Can you tell us how much that meant to building the event? We got worldwide attention, you know, Bruce fans all over the United States and all over Europe and probably all over the world, became, you know, had an opportunity to become aware of us. Uh, and we were really able to kind of capitalize on that um, when Joe Durso uh, took that first group of musicians to Europe for our first Light of Day Europe tour. Um, right. That's where I wanted to head. The, yeah. The, I mean, the people... The, the ability to, to spread worldwide for something that's really a local started on the Jersey shore, which is obviously not New York city and not Los Angeles. And to take something from Asbury park and to make it a global event is really an accomplishment. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, Bruce, you got to look at it in the, the larger context of what Bruce means to Asbury park and to New Jersey. Um, I mean, New Jersey in general was overlooked, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Asbury Park was a, a town that was down on its luck, sure. um, had really fallen from the heights that it once had achieved as a vacation destination. Um, and Bruce 
you know, God, God bless him, uh, kept the aura and mystique of Asbury Park and New Jersey alive. Uh, he talked about it everywhere. So, um, you know, not only does Light of Day owe him a great credit, uh, debt of gratitude, but so does Asbury Park, and I think so does New Jersey. Uh, it's interesting you say that, just because I remember going back to the first times I was ever in Asbury in the, in the mid-90s, and the joke was it looked like Beirut, and it, it did. And now, because he had half-built half built buildings and uh, other buildings that's in decay, and now you got these gorgeous condos along the beach and the gorgeous Asbury Hotel. It's just, it's night and day. Well, you know, you have to understand that, you know, you're talking about a town that's on a beach <laughs> yes. in, in the most densely populated state in the country and the most densely populated tri-metropolitan area in the country. So it was just a matter of time for this to catch on again. Um, but, you know, it, you know, certain, you know, the, the forces that kept it down for so many years, um, you know, were, were powerful and, you know, bureaucracy and, and, and bankruptcy and all of the things uh, and the forces that that brings to bear on a city like Asbury Park and, and, and racial tensions and, and, and suburban fear of Asbury Park. You know, uh, it was, it was a hard road to hoe, uh, but, you know, again, you know, Bruce kept the faith and kept talking about it. And finally, um, when things really started to turn around, you know, all of those people that have been hearing about it all these years from Bruce said, hey, you know, you know, maybe they've been to the Stone Pony, but they never thought about buying anything in Asbury. Well, those people started buying in Asbury. Also, the gay community mm. was a big uh, force in and, and reclaiming the beauty of some of the uh, homes, you know, by buying them and, and rehabbing them and turning them into the beautiful structures they once were. So between Bruce and the gay community and the fact that it was a beach town with an empty beach, which is like almost ridiculous to even think about, you know, uh, for, so, for so many years. Uh, again, it was just a matter of time, but all of these things I think came together to really uh, help Asbury Park rise up. And I think Light of Day was part of that as well. Oh, uh, for sure. Because Definitely. we were growing as Asbury was starting to, to grow and regenerate. Um, so, you know, we were kind of hand in hand with the city in terms of regrowth and renewal. But where, where does your organization stand today with all these events? There have been events around the world, I, I believe, uh, is it Niagara? And there's been events in Europe. And of course, there's the normal weekend of events on the Jersey Shore every January. So it, it has really become a big thing. And, and why don't you tell the audience a little about like where, where the organization is right now? Well, uh, taking, you know, uh, this COVID-19 year out of the equation, which actually is, I think, going to be very interesting. Um, you know, we essentially are on three continents, Australia, North America, and Europe, um, with approximately 85 events a year um, in approximately 14 countries. That's so, amazing. Wow, I did not yeah, know that. It, it is amazing. And, you know, uh, the you know, Canada has done at, at, at certain, in some years, six or seven uh, cities, 
of events. They did a tour one year with Steve Earle, who played five uh, Ontario cities. Um, Australia has a two-day uh, light of day event in, uh, ironically, Ocean Grove, Australia, <laughs> which, it, which was founded by the same group of Methodists really? that founded Ocean Grove, New Jersey. Really? That's a factoid for you. Yes. And if it wasn't for the fact that our board president, Gene Mickle, lived in Ocean <laughs> Grove, New Jersey, we probably would have never met the folks from Ocean Grove, uh, Australia. But they reached out to her because she she was, you know, they were they were looking for a, an organization that raised money for Parkinson's awareness that was involved in music. And they did a, you know, a Google search and they saw Gene Mickle, president, Ocean Grove, New Jersey. Of wow. <laughs> so it was a natural uh, pairing. Yeah, and, then, and then, of course, you know, you know, Jer Joe Durso has been instrumental in, in bringing us through Europe, um, basically following uh, a tour route that he had built um, following Bruce around Europe and Bruce was touring, <laughs> and, uh, which was a very smart thing to do. And um, his following and Bruce's following were the, were the initial people who came out to see us. And that's just grown over the years. We started with, uh, I think, a 10-day tour, and now it's up to three weeks and change. Uh, so that's, that's a pretty extensive tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really tough if you're on it. I've only done it once, and it's grueling. <laughs> <laughs> so are there some acts who do the entire, the entire tour, or, or do oh, yeah, guys yeah, come yeah. in and out? Well, some guys come in and out, but primarily it's the same core of people that do the whole thing. And it's, and it's an acoustic tour. We don't bring bands. Um, we bring about five uh, musicians, four or five musicians. Um, the, the host cities supply some local talent or even regional or national talent in, 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 in their, in their uh, countries and, and states. And um, it's a real cooperative effort. And uh, if nothing else, you know, it spreads the message, which is the most important part of it. And you've really done an amazing job at spreading the message. So many Springsteen fans and fans of other acts follow what's going on with Light of Day now, and they want to be involved now, unfortunately, as we were saying, with the pandemic, this year is a little bit different, but there is going to be a way to be involved. So do you want to talk about what's happening the weekend of February 12th to 14th? Yeah, it, it, we're calling it uh, Light of Day Winter Love Fest 2021. Uh, it's a virtual event. Um, it's over three days, the 12th, 13th and 14th of February, which is Valentine's Day weekend. And we're going to have over 60 artists, um, over 12 hours of streaming, over three days. And um, we're, also uh, we're also going to have uh, what we call crowdsourced events, which is uh, artists and organizations basically producing and streaming their own events on their own platforms, which will kind of give it the flavor of light of day. Because in, 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 you know, in the real world light of day, you know, multiple events are happening in multiple places constantly. So uh, we're, we're trying to create that kind of community involvement feel. And um, we thought that, so, you know, that uh, having organizations just create their own shows uh, that we schedule and uh, we'll promote their links and they'll be part of Light of Day. So besides the, and I, I hate to call them official because it's, they're all official as far as I'm concerned. 
but the, 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 the shows that we're putting together will be approximately 12 plus hours of streaming. And, uh, you know, depending on how many uh, crowdsource organizations and artists, uh, whatever they do, that'll be added to it. So who knows? It could be, you know, 30 hours, 20 hours of streaming. I see here on the 13th, you're going to be having sort of a greatest hit show from the last two years of Light of Day. What is that going to include? I know our audience is going to want to know, is that going to include any of Bruce's performance from the 20th anniversary show, January of last year? Well, like we do in light of day every year, we never tell you. <laughs> well, people will have to <laughs> why should tune in any, then. Why should it be any different now? That's a so, good point. Fair <laughs> enough. You know, that, that's, uh, that's the way we do it, and that's the way we'll continue to do it. So, no, uh, I can't tell you that. Um, but I can say that the, that the folks that have been in the light of day for the last two years um, uh, playing the Paramount on the, the main event night, which is Bob's birthday bash on the Saturday night at the Paramount, they're going to all be participating. Uh, in okay. It. Well, I think that tells us what we need to know. And, and <laughs> Flynn and I were both there last January. And it was it was a wonderful night. Uh, just so special. I know Bruce came back special from florida to be there on short notice and and it was really a great night yeah i mean it was uh it was it was very gracious and um supportive of, of bruce to to come up for that now, so over over the, the 20 years you've you've seen a lot of been a lot of shows hours of performances what which ones looking back stand stand out the most for you well, you know, there were, there were just so many, but personally getting, being on stage with Bruce and si singing Thunder Road right next to him. Oh yeah. That was, you know, that was <laughs> <That's> pretty, <laughs> pretty big. What, what can I say? You know, yeah, really. even though, you know, I've, I've, I've played trumpet, you know, with, with Bruce and the E street band, but uh, there's, so, you know, I'm as most trumpet players are, we're very, we're, you know, we're, We'd love to be singers, you know, <laughs> uh, and uh, so we're frustrated singers, and and uh, to sing Thunder Road with Bruce in front of that audience on that night, it, it's such a special, such an important, and, and such a memorable, indelibly memorable thing to do. So I'll never, I'll never it, forget that. It was really that. emotional. And thank God so I remember the lyrics. <laughs> And so well, let's talk about you. You toured with Bruce and the E Street Band. I did. I you have, did. Uh, how's your memory from that? Any, any could talk about that for a bit? Yeah, you know, hey, this was the 70s. <laughs> you were there and you remember it. You weren't really there. Ah, okay. Um, but I can say this, you know, I kind of describe my initial impression and uh, in being on stage with Bruce, actually the first time he counted off a song on stage in front of an audience with his band that I played it it was like and I'll, I'll never forget this it was really like being uh, like an, an Olympic ski jumper and as he was counting it off it's like you're being you're, you're pushing yourself off and you're going down that ramp and there's no stopping you you know there's no way you cannot you can avoid doing what you have to do which is play you know? <laughs> and, and try your best to to match that energy but the thing is you don't 
you almost don't even have to do that because his energy was just so overwhelming that you're just, it's like a tsunami of energy and you're just, you're, you're just taken by it, you know, and whether you want to or not, you're flying off that ramp. <laughs> of course you want to as a musician, mm -hmm. you know, but it, it, it's just an experience. Again, that first time I'll never forget. I'll never forget that. And then you played with Southside for a bunch of years too. Yeah. That yeah. must've been, I mean, that must've been fun. Yeah. I mean, playing with Southside was great. You know, um, I was, I was young. You know, I was 21, I think. And um, I was, you know, uh, 21 or 22 and I was younger than anybody, anybody else in the band. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, yeah, I, you know, and I got in, you know, Ed Mannion and I joined the band together. Uh, we had been, we had met each other at Ocean County College, actually, where Bruce went for about five minutes before he realized it was a, just a waste of time. But um, I'd met Ed at Ocean County College. He was taking a photography course, and I was just hanging out meeting young college girls. <laughs> and we uh, and we ended up uh, playing in this band together called Amusement. Um, actually, the bass player of the band went on to uh, own one of the biggest uh, booking agencies in the United States, um, uh, APA agency, Jim Gosnell. And um, we were, he hired us and we were, that was our, that was my first club band. I think Ed had been in club bands before that. But um, that's how Ed and I met and that's, and we played together for a couple of years. Ed went into the service, came out, we met again and played together again. And we were playing this terrible band uh, and literally I just kicked the music stand over one night and quit. And I looked at Ed and I said, Ed, are you coming with me? <laughs> and he did. And we walked upstairs and we walked into the street to our car and, I, and he looked at me and said, well, now what the hell do we do? <laughs> and I said, I don't know, man, what do we do? And he said, let's go to the stone pony. So we went to the stone pony and literally that very night that we, we quit this horrible band, um, we met. Vinny Lopez, or Ed had known Vinny Lopez. I had known of him. I'd never met him. And uh, Vinny literally came up to us and said, Ed, you're still, are you still playing saxophone? Because a friend of mine, Johnny Lyons, needs a saxophone and a trumpet player. Wow. I mean, that's luck. You talk about the Hollywood and Vine sitting on the soda stand thing. That's was, that was our soda Hollywood and Vine moment, you know? And, uh, that, Literally, crazy. The rest is history. Thank God I quit that band. That's all I have to say. <laughs> oh gosh! <laughs> and and that's when Southside and you guys became the house band at the Stone Pony. No, they'd been the house band. Oh, they'd been the house band. Oh right. God, yeah. yeah, yeah. They'd been there for almost two years prior to that. Um, they were the house band, and uh, they were doing three nights a week: Sundays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays, and packing the joint. And uh, we, they were, we were, when we first started playing with them, we were doing five 40-minute sets a night. Wow. <laughs> That's Jeez. a long night. So, yeah, it was great. I mean, all bands did that then. I mean, you, just, you played your ass off constantly. Um, and then I remember we, <laughs> we talked the pony into letting us only play three one-hour sets a night. We felt like we were getting over. You know? <laughs> 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 But, you know, Johnny brought the energy as well in a yeah. big way, I'm sure. Oh, God, I mean, you know, Johnny's great. And Stephen, uh, you know, I mean, the sound of the Jukes 
you know, the voice of the Jukes was Southside Johnny Lyons, great voice. The, the sound of the Jukes was Stephen Van Zandt because he arranged everything that we played when I was in the band. He had a sound in his head that was unique. I mean, I was very familiar with all of the horn bands of, of, of the 60s in that era. I was very familiar with the Stax bands, the Stax Volt bands, you know, Memphis bands and the Detroit bands and the Chicago blues bands. And none of those bands sounded like the Jukes. Stephen had a horns section sound in his mind that didn't exist before Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes. So you got to take your hat off to Stephen. Uh, he was also he was the producer of the records. He, he wrote and co-wrote songs with Bruce for the band. And, uh, and, and Johnny was that great, awesome voice. As, as Bruce said, he was the only guy you could stand listening to sing rhythm and blues all night long. <laughs> Asbury Park. So. And it's true. He was great. He is great. Now the legend of of Steve and, and Bruce in the in the Born to Run sessions when they were working on Tenth Avenue is that Steven sang the horn parts to those guys. Yeah. Did he sing them to you too? Always, always. Oh. We would we would stand in a circle around him, and he would just, you know, he'd be you'd see him his mind working, and he might have a preconceived notion. And usually he had. He knew what the lines were and he would sing them and we would play them. We didn't, we, we never wrote this stuff down. <laughs> we just, we, we had those little Motorola tape decks, you know, we just record it. And then we, then we, you know, we do some of the, we do the voicings and that was it. And then we, we'd rehearse it with the band, you know, and we'd remember everything. Yeah. And, and that was for the, for the studio sessions. That was for everything. Oh, wow. That was for everything. I mean, when we went into the studios, for the most, we'd been playing that stuff. At least we'd been rehearsing it. Okay. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, everything was him singing to us and us, you know, we had ears. Mm -hmm. We knew what to do with it. And uh, it was, it was, it was a great, it was a unique experience. Wow. And it was great because so many bands, you know, you see bands today and, and they're playing from music. You know, they have, they have music stands or they have iPads now in front of them and like that was you know you'd never had done that you you didn't walk up on this on the bandstand with a music stand in those days they would have thrown you off <laughs> plus you know you didn't play you know people don't play 200 minutes of music a night anymore either unless that's true. unless you're bruce that's <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>, that true <laughs> so, so, you, so you guys just had all of that in your head at all at all times yes and that's and, amazing and the crazy thing really I mean, when you're when you're playing a show, a 90 minute show, that's, you know, 15, 20 songs. But when we were doing, you know, five forties a night at the Stone Pony, it was like 40 songs. And we had to know everything. Did you ever repeat songs within the five sets or it was no. five sets of fresh? Music? Yeah, it was five sets. And it was, you know, people don't realize this, but the Jukes were basically a cover band because you know, the majority of the stuff that we were playing at when we were doing the pony regularly, we were a cover band, albeit obscure R&B covers, reggae covers that most people didn't know. And certainly the kids didn't know it. Um, and we were kids at the time as well. So we were, you know, we were kind of uh, everything else that was going on at the Jersey Shore at the time was all top 40 cover music. We were the antithesis of that. And uh, 
you know, the people who came to see us in part were embraced by the uniqueness of Asbury Park as well. And this has always been, I think, why the musical community and the city have gotten along so well, because Asbury was very different than anything else at the Jersey Shore. And the music scene in Asbury Park was very different than any other music scene at the Jer Jersey Shore. And each fed into the other and supported the other and helped, I think, the other grow. Yes. That's, That's great. That's a great way to put it. Thank you. We should definitely plug Light of Day before. Oh yeah. We yeah. So <laughs> for every, so for everyone out there, if you want more information on Light of Day, please go to lightofday.org. It's a great organization. Uh, obviously, it's difficult times, and for some, money is limited and so forth, and we understand that. But if you have a couple of extra dollars, this is a great organization to keep in mind they really do deserve your support. Well, uh, that's one thing I want to make clear that even though um, there is no paywall, you don't have to pay to participate and view. Um, you know, we do this to raise money and to raise awareness, but also to raise money <laughs> because without money, we can't do the things that we do. Um, so if uh, folks are able to, we would love to see those d donation bells ring because uh, really that's why we're there. Um, but we understand that if it's tough um, and you can't do it, just, just, just watch and enjoy. And uh, next time, you know, maybe you can, you can participate in terms of giving, uh, you know, we didn't want to do a paywall because we didn't want to exclude people. And we knew that if we did a paywall, we very well would exclude people. And that's, right. that's not our, our, that's not what we seek to do. Um, we want to include as opposed to exclude. And um, however, we all know that some folks did really, really well during COVID-19. <laughs> <laughs> like the people who own the fucking supermarkets <laughs> and, you know, the certain, certain industries and, and certain businesses did very, very well. And to those businesses, as I say, make up for the ones that <laughs> Please open your wallets and really, God willing, we know they're stuffed right now. <laughs> God willing, we'll all be back in the Paramount next year. I, yeah. I know everyone listening hopes that so much. I know you hope it. Well, and I, I both hope it. Yes, we do. Because I, I think one thing that people are going to miss as much as the music is the fellowship and the, the communion, the sense of community. Um, you know, going to breakfast with the people from, from England and from Italy and from Sweden and Norway and, and France and Belgium, you know, who you, who you only see once a year at light of day, Winterfest. So that won't be there. However, in the virtual world, there are ways of doing that. There are, there are rooms you can create during the stream uh, where you can speak, talk to each other. You can even do Zoom rooms. I mean, there, there's all kinds of tech, you know, you gotta, you gotta love technology for, uh, in this case uh, because it's really, it really can work to keep the sense of community um, coherent and, and available. And, um, you know, we have to, you know, we gotta kind of play with the chips we have and make the best of it. And I think it's gonna be a great light of day. I think it's gonna be a very interesting light of day. And uh, if, we stop, if we don't think about what we're not we can't do and we think about what we can do 
I think it'll make it a much, much better experience for everyone. And I think it's going to be a very good experience. That's a fabulous way of putting it. And certainly we thank you very much for coming on. It's been great hearing these stories. And yes, thank you. You know, we wish you with the upcoming event, the very best. And we hope to see you next January. And we will. (laughs) And thank you guys for everything. Um, And God bless you and stay safe and stay healthy. And I would love to have breakfast with you next year. (laughs) Sounds good to us. Definitely. Sounds good to us. Thank you so much for joining. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks, Tony. Once again, that was Tony Palagrossi, legendary Jersey music promoter and executive director of the Light of Day Foundation. We really enjoyed that. And we thank him so much for, for joining us on the show. Yeah, it's not often we get to actually talk to someone who's been on stage with uh, with Bruce and especially someone who, who's on stage with him back in the 70s. So that was, yes. that was a treat right there. Well, we've now spoken to two people who've been on stage with Bruce, Tony and Joe. Yes. Well, I didn't say we never talk with someone. I just said it's it's not often that we do. And we have that we have once. And tonight was night two. Right. And hopefully there'll be some more. <laughs> Let's hope. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, let's see what we can pull off. (laughs) What kind of magic we have. Yes. Anyway, let's, uh, well, we'll see about that, but I'm going to wrap it up here, Flynn. Sounds good. None but the bravest presentation of Bull Market Entertainment. Please subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice. As always, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Amazon, we're on Google, we're on all the major ones. (laughs) And if you want to interact with us on the internet, we can be found on Twitter at NBTB Podcast, and our website is nonebutthebravepodcast.com. Thanks again to Tony Pellegrosi for joining us. And for Hal Schwartz, I'm Flynn McLean saying thanks for listening, and we'll see you further on up the road. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.